God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. In James chapter 1, verse 8, we read these words, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I think of the passage where Jacob said of his firstborn, Reuben, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Unstable as water. You can take the shape of whatever container you're put in. That is what James is speaking of when he is speaking of this double-minded man. I've entitled this message, The Double-Minded Man. Now, in the context, James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom. Now, he's not talking about worldly wisdom. He's talking about that wisdom that is the beginning of knowledge, that wisdom that is called the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Not fear of hell, not fear of punishment, not fear of of loss. Many people do many things from fear of these things, but that is not the fear of God. You can have those things and never know the living God. And the fear of hell never caused anyone to believe. Not the fear of hell. Not the fear of bad things that may happen not the fear of punishment, not the fear of things that you may lose, but the fear of God, that reverence, that awe, that respect for God that makes you afraid to look anywhere except Christ alone as all your salvation. You don't trust yourself. You're afraid to look to your works. You're afraid to look to your experience. You're afraid to look to anything that has anything to do with you. You can only look to Christ. Now, someone who only looks to Christ, Christ is their only hope, all of their salvation. He's all they have. That's the man who fears God. Now, if any of you lack this wisdom, this fear of God, now to lack it is to not have it. This is a different word than the word um, used, uh, uh, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Not the same word. He is speaking of a complete lack of this wisdom. Now, if you lack this wisdom, may God give 
you and me the grace to see if we don't have this wisdom, this fear of God. The natural man doesn't have it. The scripture says there is no fear of God before their eyes. But if you do not have this wisdom, if you lack this wisdom and you know it, we're given a very encouraging word from God. If any man lack this wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, generously, and upbraideth not. If you're without this wisdom, and you know it, and you ask the Lord, would you be pleased to give me this wisdom, this fear of you, this this fear that's the beginning of wisdom. Would you give it to me? I don't have it. I can't produce it. Would you give it to me? Let him ask. The Lord said, you have not because you ask not. Let him ask. God, who gives to all liberally, generously. That's not all men without exception, but he does give to everybody that asks. If you ask, you have not because you ask not. If you ask, he gives to everybody who asks liberally and generously, and he does not braid you. He doesn't say, why as contradictory and hypocritical as you are, why would you even ask me for this? No, anybody who asks, he gives liberally and generously, and he does not upbraid that person. If you ask God for this wisdom, The scripture says, it shall be given him. That's God's promise. If you ask God for this wisdom, this knowledge of God, this fear of God, a new nature is what it is. If you ask for this, you'll have it. He promises. But look what he says next. But, verse 6, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, not going back and forth. Let him ask in faith. Now, that word wavering is doubting. This is a different word than the word, O O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? This is a different word than the word used where they worshipped him, but some doubted. In both of these instances, there was faith, along with doubt. It is what the man in Mark 9 meant, and this is the cry of every believer, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. There's never a time when I do not have unbelief as long as I have a sinful nature. Now, I believe. That's the new man. I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. But when he speaks... To this one who lacks wisdom, he says, you must ask in faith, not wavering. Now, what does it mean to ask in faith? Let's be clear what faith is. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. What is faith? Well, first of all, you understand that you can't be saved by your works. To him that worketh not. 
You know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. To him that worketh not. Salvation by works is altogether impossible for you. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. You believe that God through Christ can justify you, make you without guilt, make you sinless, make you not guilty because of what Christ did on Calvary's tree. He put away sin. He takes his righteousness and he gives it to all those who believe. Now that is faith. When you're asking in faith, you're pleading only Christ's name. You're not saying, Lord, give me this because I'm asking. Give me this because I deserve it. Give me this because I've merited. No, you're saying, give me this for Christ's sake. I have no other plea. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. Now, what is this thing of wavering? I'd like to read a passage of scripture from 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah says to the children of Israel who had gone into Baal worship. He says in verse 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions, two beliefs, trying to hold them both, when in reality they exclude one another, and you can't have them both. Now, what they were were doing was they were worshiping Baal. He says, how long halt ye between two opinions? And he appeals to the truth. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal be God, follow him. You can't do both. One or the other, how long Halt ye between two opinions. Now let me make some statements that demonstrate how it is impossible to hold two opinions at the same time. It's impossible to straddle the fence. It's impossible to halt between two opinions. The Bible is either God's inspired word or it's not. Let me repeat that. The Bible is either God's inspired word, and it claims to be. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now somebody says, how could there be a book that really is inspired by God and doesn't have any error at all. That seems impossible to me. Well, God created the universe out of nothing. And it is not difficult to him to inspire men to write a book and keep it preserved. Now, without the Bible being the word of God, all we have is my opinion and your opinion. 
and neither one of those are any good. The Bible is either God's word to be bowed to, to be believed, or to be not believed. It's no different than any other uh, work of literature by any man. It's no different than Shakespeare or Milton or any of the great works. It's a great work, but it's not the Word of God. It's one of those two. You can't mix them. It's either all of God's inspired revelation or it's not inspired at all. Number two, God is either absolutely sovereign or he's not sovereign. Now, if you believe man has a free will, you make the statement in saying that, that God is not sovereign. You say man's will is free and it trumps God's will. You either say that or you say God's will cannot be trumped. He is absolutely sovereign. Now it can't be both. God can't be sovereign and man have a free will. Man can't have a free will. If man does have a free will, God can't be sovereign. Now what do I mean by free will? You do what you want to. I do what I want to. I'm not saying that's not the case. But a free will is a will free of a wicked nature, of a sinful nature. Somebody says, well, man's will is free. Well, no, it's not. Man's will is controlled by a sinful nature. Um, God is either absolutely sovereign or men are sovereign. God's will is sovereign or man's will is sovereign. It can't be both. One is altogether true. The other is altogether a lie. You can't halt between two opinions. God is either as he is revealed in the scriptures or he is not. Thirdly, God either elected a people before the foundation of the world or he did not elect a people before the foundation of the world. Now, if he did elect a people before the foundation of the world, then those who say he did not are lying on God. If he did not elect a people before time began to be saved, then those who say he did are lying on God. There is no middle ground there. There is no middle ground. Scripture says, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Romans 9, 11. God either elected a people before time began or he didn't. Now, here's why election must be true because of man's state according to the scriptures. Now, men are, here's the third point, men are either dead in sins or they have the ability to save themselves. Men are either completely dead in sins. That means they cannot. A dead man cannot do anything but stink. A man cannot do anything to save himself or he can. It's one of those two, but you can't mix those two. Now, if a man's dead in sin, election is absolutely necessary. Here's the next statement. Christ's blood either saves or it didn't. 
It really is that simple. Christ's blood either saves or it didn't. You can't believe both. Now, if you believe that Jesus Christ could shed his blood for somebody and that person wind up in hell anyway, you don't believe his blood saves. His blood either saved or it didn't. When Christ said it is finished, everybody he died for was saved. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. He didn't lay down his life for goats. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, Christ's blood either actually saves or it does not save. Salvation is dependent upon man once. How long halt ye between two opinions? The next statement is God the Holy Spirit, his grace, either gives life or it doesn't actually give life. It's up to you to make that life work. He either gives life, and that's what I see the scripture teaching of the new birth is. You hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. You're born of the Spirit, birthed of the Spirit, or it's up to you to do something in order for you to have life. It's one or the other. It can't be both. God's people either persevere all the way to the end, looking to Christ, or they can fall away and be damned after having been given life. It's one of the two, but it can't be both. How long halt ye between two opinions? Now back to our text in James chapter 1. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, not halting back and forth, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You see, without faith, the scripture says, it is impossible to please him. That man who wavers back and forth, that man who's without faith, this double-minded man shall not receive anything from the Lord. He has no faith. Look what James says in verse 8, a double-minded man, a double-minded man, a man that halts between two opinions. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Just like Reuben, unstable as water, Thou shalt not excel. Now, what is this thing of double-mindedness? Well, it means literally two-souled. It's worse than being two-faced, this double-minded man. Now, we've all known people who are two-faced. They have one face and a, that appears to you, but there's something behind it. And you know what that means, but that's not really what this is talking about. This is talking about a man who holds two different views. A double-minded man. Two-souled, double as opposed to single. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, when he expressed this fear to the Corinthians. He, he said, I'm afraid lest you be corrupted from the simplicity, the singleness 
the onlyness that's in Christ. There is the double-minded man. He is the man who has been corrupted from the simplicity, the singularity, the onlyness of Christ. Now, I want to um, close by thinking of this thing of the simplicity of Christ. Now, there are known what is called the five solas of the Reformation. Scriptures alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and God's glory alone. Now, I would suggest to you that these are not the five solas of the Reformation that diminishes them and debases them. These truths are all eternal truths. They were not something that came up during the Protestant Reformation. This has always been the truth. Scriptures alone. We look to the Scriptures alone as our only foundation of faith and practice. You know, at Todd's Road Grace Church, the church I pastor, we don't have a confession. We don't have a creed. We don't give assent to any confessions, as true as many of them may be. They're still man-made documents. And anybody who puts an emphasis on a church confession or a church creed, they interpret the Bible in light of that which some man wrote. And that is not right. We have the inspired Word of God. God wrote the book. And everything He wrote in this book is profitable, is necessary. The gospel is expounded in the scriptures alone. We don't look to man's opinions. We don't look to denominational distinctives. We look to the scriptures alone. And we know the scripture has one message. Christ alone. Christ alone. This is not a rule book about how to live. This is a book to teach us Jesus Christ. He said, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Every single scripture testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ alone. Christ alone is the message of the scriptures. Christ alone is the object of faith. We look to him only. Christ alone is the cause of salvation. I'm not saved because I did anything. I'm saved because of what Christ did for me. Christ alone is the only ground of assurance. I don't find assurance because of some way I'm living. I find assurance because everything God requires of me, He looks to His Son for. Christ alone. Not Christ and. That's being corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Christ alone. And we really believe grace alone. If it's not grace alone, it's not grace, period. Salvation is not by grace and, but by grace alone. Listen to this. Everything in salvation, from election before, the time, before time began, unto glorification, 
when time is no more and every believer stands redeemed before God, all of that, from election to glorification and everything in between, salvation is by the grace of God, not of works. Listen to this scripture. Romans chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. That very act of faith was not, didn't come from you. It's the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Grace alone, faith alone, faith alone. The just shall live by faith, not faith and, faith alone. The only evidence of salvation is faith. I'm not asking you anything but this. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that He really is all in salvation? I'm not asking you about what you believe with regard to yourself, but what do you believe concerning Christ? Faith alone. Not faith and faith alone. If you find assurance of salvation by looking at your experience or your good works or your baptism or your church membership or your anything else, you've missed Christ. Salvation is by faith alone. And then the fifth sola is the glory of God alone. I'm saved for one reason, so that God would get all glory. He's the one who saves, not me. He's the one who saves. He saved me. Therefore, he gets all the glory and none goes to me. And I like it that way. I know that when I'm in heaven, I am going to be a trophy of his grace. He gets all the glory. Now, if anything you hear gives man any glory, it's not of God. The glory goes to God alone and nowhere else. And let me tell you why I love it that way. First, because he deserves all the glory. But if any glory goes to man, that means some work is, is, is required of me that I must do. And I have no hope if that's the case. But the fact that Christ did everything and gets all the glory gives this sinner hope. That means I can be saved because salvation is by what he did and not what I do. If any glory goes to man, that means salvation in some degree is salvation by works. If you give your free will the credit, that's salvation by works. No, God gets all the glory. Now, James says a double-minded man, a man who halts between two opinions, a man who is corrupted from the simplicity of Christ is unstable in all his ways. The Lord said, if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is evil, complex, double, your whole body is full of darkness. May the Lord cause us to not be double-minded men, but single-minded men. We have this message on DVD, CD. 
If you will call the church, write or email or get it off our website. We have this message and we'll send it to you. Pray this is a blessing. Amen. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send a request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen.